Oktoberfests, birthday fests, finally, raked fests. Whatever fest they're celebrating this fall, give them gifts that they'll actually want, <clears throat> like drinks, and get them all from Drizzly, an app for alcohol delivery. With Drizzly, you can compare prices on bountiful cornucopias of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them all delivered to their door, or the pile of leaves they're setting in. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com and get gifting today. You made it. Here. Finally. Checked out of office to check into the sweet views of that place you've always wanted to go. You know the one. It's nice. Even the kids like it. This place is so cool. And they never like it. Mom, can we go to the pool? Look at that. Not even asking for the Wi-Fi. When you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it. You know, when I reach out to people on LinkedIn and various other, you know, outlets to connect, I really have no agenda. Well, I guess the agenda could be just networking for networking's sake. I love talking to people, uh, learning about their journey, their adventure, and just how they feel about how their life is going and hopefully how I can add to that. And my guest today is Dr. Lauren Fisher, uh, who is a licensed clinical psychologist. And Lauren and I met through LinkedIn, which is how I meet, I would say, 95% of people that I'm meeting these days. And... Uh, we had talked previously, and I thought it was a really good conversation, and we really clicked, we really vibed, and uh, I felt she'd be a great guest on the podcast, and boy, was she amazing. Um, our conversation was really enlightening, and I feel like I just learned so much about her points of view related to uh, psychology, psychological theory, uh, relationships, and uh, I think those are universal things and how we exist as human beings. And Lauren just did a great job, and, and she was working on limited sleep. She's pretty tired, but she really revved up and brought it, and it really gave a great interview, and I was really happy to have her on. So I'm excited for you guys to listen to the discussion that I had with Dr. Lauren Fisher. Hello there. Hey, Dr. Daring. How are you? I'm good. And yourself? Good. Awesome. How's your day been? You know what? Really hectic. So it's nice to kind of <laughs> finally take a moment to sit. Exactly. Kind of decompress and uh, we'll chat about some interesting things, I believe. Yeah. Thanks for having me there. Of course. It. So how's it been since? I know we talked uh, offline before. Well, not on a podcast, but and I enjoyed the conversation. How has life been since then? You know, very busy, but very, very good. Like business plans are moving forward and things are progressing and you know, kind of like uh, everything's aligning in a chaotic oh, kind of way. In a chaotic type of way. I I feel a very similar way with uh, some of my business stuff that I'm doing currently. I'm like, okay, things are moving. It's a little chaotic, but it's moving in the right direction. Right. Like when you're not moving against the green, it's kind of nice. <laughs> it is kind of nice. Well, yeah, I wanted I to, I know 
last time we talked, I didn't, there's some areas I wanted to get into that mm-hmm. I was like, oh, you almost save that for the podcast a little bit more. Sure. Uh, but I've had a few um, licensed clinical psychologists on and that, um, who I actually work with as clients of mine. Mm-hmm. And I'm always, I'm, I love talking to people who do what you do. Like, I love it. It's yeah. just, it's fascinating. But I'm also interested, like, what, what theories of psychology do you follow the most or what, you know, psychologist throughout the years has influenced you the most? You know, um, like it really varies. I consider myself an integrative therapist. And when I first started like CBT, right. Seemed to be Mm -hmm. the thing I linked to first. Um, and, you know, most people are familiar with cognitive behavioral therapy, but I was drawn, of course, to Beck and all of his work and people in that field just because of the <clears throat> just actually breaking down the whole thoughts, emotions and, um, you know, the way that we perceive things and how that affects our actions. Because I don't know about you, but no one ever said to me, hey, you know what, guess what, what you're feeling in your stomach and what you're sensing is actually tied to your thoughts, you know? And so, right, like, so that initially, for sure, for just kind of understanding your present experience, and then, you know, I was really fascinated with, of course, how to change your thinking and realizing, you know, that that can affect your experience, etc. But, you know, as time went on, for sure, um, you know, really drawn to the field of, you know, positive psychology and just, mm-hmm. just stall therapists and, uh, and then definitely trauma therapists. Um, like I was trained 10 years ago. Um, and I can tell you right now, I'm just checking. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, I can hear you fine. Okay. Um, <clears throat> That, like, I really don't feel there was a whole lot of trauma training. There was definitely not much with any kind of body therapies. So over time, really being drawn uh, and influenced my own practice individually, but then with my clients, by, like, mindfulness-based psychology, you know, really, uh, you know, falling in love with the work that John Kabat-Zinn did that Mm -hmm. helped to really formalize in our country, right, some credibility around meditation and the way it could affect, you know, obviously initially pain populations, but now that being generalized to be able to be used, right, for all different kind of conditions and helping us see the benefits of that and tying the neuroscience to it. Right. So, so the mindfulness, but then when we get into like the trauma work, like, you know, Bessel van der Kolk, uh, Peter Levine, uh, uh, you know, I also know she's not an originator, but uh, Linda Curran, um, she does a lot Mm -hmm. of work with trauma. And uh, so looking at, you know, the different theories around EMDR and somatic um, experiencing and, um, you know, the trauma theory has been really fascinating to me because to see how much work, um, well, not only is it an absolute necessity to work with the body, <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know, but to also see how you can um, get to the root of things a lot faster when you're going through the body versus, you know, top down processing, which, you know, uh-huh. where we say cognitive. So, um, 
so for me, it's been like, I'm always learning and I'm like, wow, this is amazing. You know, every time there's these theories and you're able to integrate the actual techniques and practices and to see people have a much more profound healing. So a lot of, um, you know, a lot of my work right now is, is definitely being guided by a lot of, you know, the integration of the traditional techniques of course, of CBT, your psychoanalytic theories. I mean, anything yeah. around attachment and family uh, stuff is oh, really man. important. I tell you, it's so funny. So I had uh, one of my podcast guests recently was Dr. Dora Wolf. Mm-hmm. And her whole work is primarily trauma therapy mm-hmm. uh, with, a, with and also attachment theory yeah. is focused pretty greatly with what she's doing. And she's doing a lot of work on pre-trauma. Yeah. Um, uh, so I thought it's, it's interesting that you're mentioning that and she was talking about that. Why do you think that traumas, be, you said you didn't maybe not as much education that why has that come online so much in the last 10 years? You know, I mean, I think that maybe more of the, I mean, more of the science backing it and the studies, it's been a I don't know, maybe our, our times being more aware and open to it, because when you hear Bessel van der Kolk talk, he's been doing work since the 60s. Uh, the same theories and practices have been in practice from the 70s. But what I really like about what he says is like, he was like, I did that work with um, trauma veterans post Vietnam. Yeah. But he's like, everybody wants to forget trauma. He's like, society wants to forget trauma. We want to ignore it. People want to ignore it, right? We spend our whole lives avoiding things we're ashamed yeah. of or difficult experiences. Understandable for why people do that. But so the way I kind of, I kind of agree with that. I think conceptually, it's been a societal, like, let's not talk about, you know, not only emotion, but then let alone trauma. So I do think that, you know, we're in a time, thankfully, where I feel (laughs) people are way more open. I'm like, gosh, some of these younger generations have a great chance of being a lot more healthy (laughs) than we ever were. Because we a lot of us are figuring out along the way, right? What's anxiety? What's depression? And so when I hear like kids are doing like meditation and yoga or in like a school, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is great. Or their parents are teaching them how to identify their emotions. It just makes me very hopeful for, you know. I think so. It's well, I think we're experiencing kind of this awakening on some level. Agreed. I think it's interesting because I feel like there's been a stigma to especially therapy. And even very culturally based, too, on mm-hmm. that. And um, what do you think people's maybe biggest misconceptions are about therapy? Well, you know, historically, psychotherapy, and some would say this is still true, that, like, it's been pathology-oriented, right? There's mm-hmm. something wrong with you. There's an illness and a dysfunction, right? So there's shame of having something wrong with you versus looking at it from a holistic perspective of, right, like that you're actually a whole person, but there's some element of the system that's been disrupted. So I really like to look at it from a more positive view. Like you're not broken. You're not, you know, there's nothing like wrong with you in that sense, but there's an imbalance or there's dysfunction and there's a reason and cause for that. And how do we help you heal or readjust? So I think that's still the number one thing people will say. It's the shame around something being 
wrong or Mm -hmm. people avoid therapy because they don't want to feel emotion (laughs) (laughs) right well people are numbing their emotions all the time through a variety Mm -hmm. of things (laughs) well and if you think about it with trauma like i don't blame people right some people have had in trauma i use right like everyone has little t's and, and then there's big t's right um, little T's affect us throughout life. Um, but the big T's, right, which we think more of our single incident or repeated developmental trauma, like going through that type of healing is incredibly difficult, um, possible, but just to even get in touch with those emotions are really overwhelming, um, to people. So I think people, some people are going to select their whole life that they prefer to stay in their avoiding coping and, that's okay. That's their choice, you know? Um, but I think it's part of our mission as, as therapists and psychologists to also help people understand that there's a healing process, but that there's a, oh, but you have to also be in the right treatment setting for that. Right. Right. So how does a person go about, like if they're thinking they want to do therapy, how do they go about picking the right therapist for themselves? Oh my. Um, <laughs> These are the questions, you know, I, I feel, (laughs) I feel so strongly about educating people about even this process because I'm horrified at what my clients tell me about what some other therapists do. Uh I'm going to write a book one day for new therapists to be like, please never do this. Like in your session, (laughs) like don't judge people off the bat and all this the reality is, all kidding aside, is that there are a lot of different therapists, different personalities, right? Different therapeutic approaches. And um, and there's a lot of people out there that are not doing good for the client. Um, mm. So so what my biggest advice to people is to say, like, uh, the research shows this. And just anecdotally, the number one, the number one thing is, like, relationship, you know, mm. that you have to feel that you can be in a space with this person to feel safe, comfortable, and that you can be open with. Because the reality of the situation is if you only give us 56% of the story, we can't do our jobs, you know. So, so the relationship's really important, but a very close second, of course, is the, the right uh, treatment approach. So, I mean, I definitely recommend that people try to find some information about what is the right type of treatment they need. And they could certainly do that by, you know, talking to their primary care physician. They could always go for a psychological assessment or consultation because Mm -hmm. uh, people who do assessments, I used to do that a lot. I'd be like, Hey, you know, this is what you're dealing with. You're going to be best suited with someone who has this area of expertise. So kind of, you know, it just adds that support in the process. Um, But, uh, you know, asking questions and then, you know, searching, I usually recommend that people, if you don't have a word of mouth referral, which is always good that you, you know, look on psychologytoday.com or one of these other profiles. I think that does a really good job of breaking down specialties and techniques. Um, And, you know, kind of helping, like, I guess, increase the chances that when you walk through the door, it's going to be a good fit, even though it's not a guarantee. So I would encourage people for sure to ask the questions that they have, like, you know, 
if, hey, I'm experiencing depression or this, how do you treat it? Like, what do you recommend? Are you a good fit? So really interviewing, they're right. interviewing the clinician just as much. But I think that, uh, you know, that's hard for people because they still view it as like a power dynamic. And sometimes that's uncomfortable for people. But I mean, one of the things I always say to people is I was like, listen, if you feel we're not a good fit after second or third session, like, let me know, because your time is super important in here. And um, if you don't feel comfortable, I want to make sure you're with the person that's going to be the right fit. Now, so when you say treatment approaches, can you break that down a little bit further, just to some clarity? So what are some different approaches that one might take? Sure. So. You know, if you're, um, let's say, I mean, if you're more of a psychoanalyst, you're going to have much more of a non-directive approach. You're going to be processing. That person's going to be talking. They're going to be making associations and working a lot mm-hmm. about the relationship. Whereas, you know, if you're more of a directive, like CBT has a very prescribed, right? Like there's cognitive behavioral, there's homework, um, you know, So some of, I'll just say like some of the therapy could be more passive. It could be more active. It could be structured. It could be unstructured. And some people feel really uncomfortable with unstructured therapy. Like what is that? What is unstructured therapy? Basically uh, we just let the client talk. They just, they take the lead. Um, and then I'm just reflecting or processing, asking questions, but they're kind of, it's really client centered and they're taking the lead and then we're just kind of guiding to get to this, the goal that you want, but it's not as directive. Whereas I may be, if I'm more directive, I'm like, okay, so we're going to be working on this today and I might like have more suggestions or more structure to it. Um, you know, some people are more, more comfortable, like with ambiguity, other clients, especially highly anxious ones are like, okay, I would really like to go home and work on like this goal. I, you know, want to be more compassionate to myself. I'd like to reduce, you know, negative thinking. They're like, what do I do? And they might be like, please, I'd love a, a worksheet that I can track everything that I'm doing. Right. So, so it could be very structured. Other people hate that, you know? So (laughs) a big part of like the dialogue is also for me is asking them like, what do you need out of treatment? You know, what do they want? Is it vague? You know, do they need more structure and having an ongoing dialogue about that because everybody varies and also depending on what the topic is too, um, you know, the approach may change. So helping them understand that. But most people, at least in the area where I live, they do want more of an interactive um, mm-hmm. therapy, which, you know, generally, in my opinion, is um, the better way to go. Gotcha. Now, do you think I'm just I'm interested in this is how much of what people are dealing with are based off their parental relationships or their past and current parent based relationships? Um, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you I'm know, just, I see it so much with people. I mean, that's, yeah. I, I, I don't have your training. I mean, my training is behavior modification. I did not become a licensed clinical psychologist, but I have a lot of training towards yeah. it. And a lot of I, what I saw 
is a lot of with people dealing with uh, past issues with their their parents and their relationship and how that has drastically affected their current lifestyle and their relationships with people. So I'm interested at what you see in your uh, mind doing that. Well, I'd say your intuition is spot on, you know, and your observations. And like, I've evolved also over the years. Um, and I did not really when i started i was not as much of psychoanalytic let's go back Mm -hmm. you know not everything goes back to childhood and i too (laughs) would start with like very more like okay it's problem problem focused you know cbt Mm -hmm. let's you know let's fix it and then you see all these people like well i know what i should be doing but i'm not right and yes. so really understanding, well, yeah, well, these patterns of behavior have been going on for a long time. And mm-hmm. even though you know how to correct them, something's stopping you, right? So, yeah, the reality is most things go back to childhood because that's where we, be- we have these beliefs, right? Positive or negative about ourselves, mm-hmm. the world, others. And that is influenced by our development, right? So Certainly. Absolutely. Like early attachment and relationship styles, what we learn um, influences a lot of what we do. Again, could be positive or negative, but, you know, you can have one pattern repeating all the time, but a lot of times, almost always, it goes back to some root that's in childhood where you encoded something inaccurately, like I'm not worthy Mm. or I'm not good enough or, you know, I can't, you know, things along those. So, yes. I think that relational patterns uh, <laughs> hugely influence uh, who we are and, and, and how we act in today's day. It's amazing how people carry that with them for decades and decades, and it really affects their personal relationships on various levels Sure. with people. And like, I, I was once told, you know, one of my uh, uh, therapist friends saying that, you know, for a lot of people, when they come to therapy, They've never had a a healthy relationship ever in their life. They don't even know what it's like to have one. And often with the therapist is the first time they've had a positive relationship in their life. Yeah. Yeah. And those are, those are the relationships. And that's why to me, it's so important for therapists to continue to work on themselves because in those relationships where you have people have never had healthy relationships. So in that case, most of the time they've had histories of trauma, right? That like right. the therapeutic relationship is so much more important. Like, cause everything you do and say, right. Really goes to teaching them and having that experience of a healthy relationship. But people do, they're like, what does that even look like? Right. So how do they know, right. how do they know what to find if they've never had the framework? So. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it's how do you, you know, because I often see people, they get into relationship after relationship without knowing how to drive the car. You know, it's like, hey, <laughs> yeah. I'm just we're driving blind here. You know, we're we're both crazy a little, you know, kind of like, you know, and it, it seems like there's so much of that. Oh, my God. So like one of the things I love doing with my clients who come in, they're like, why do I keep ending up in the same relationship over mm-hmm. and over with the same deadbeat? Right. I was like, <laughs> right. I was like, so. I'm like, have you ever stopped to like write kind of like your manifest, like your, your navigational system of like what you're looking for in someone? And they're like, what do you mean? Um, I'm like, I'm not talking about tall, dark, and handsome. I'm talking about like, what is it? I always say, if you had the partner next to me, like 
I was like, say, if you come back in a year and you're like, hey, Dr. Fisher, I met the perfect person for yeah. me. I'm like, and you're, he or she is sitting next to you. Like, what is that person like? What are the characteristics of that person of your relationship? How do you feel with that person? So really getting them to start thinking about like, the basis, right? Trust, communication, safety, right? This person makes me laugh. They, they actually yeah. attune to my emotions. And so many people have not, to your point, sat down, actually thought about what they want. So then you're like, how, how do you know what you're so looking true. for, right? <laughs> so true. <laughs> and they're like, well, this guy's better than that guy because at least he calls. But you know what? He wow. never talks about his emotions. And then that guy, so then they're self-actualizing over relationships, right? Which could take forever. <laughs> I've talked to so many people. You know, you ask these hard questions sometimes with people. I use my education background. I'm like, so, you know, like, what is happiness to you? Like, what, what would you know if you were happy? Or like, uh, I don't know. I'm like, well, how can you start these things if you don't even know what makes you feel good? And like, exactly. what makes you happy? Or ha have you defined, operationally defined, what is positive for you. And I say with 90% plus people, have done, they haven't even given it a thought. And I always say people just do stuff. They just do stuff. 100%. They don't think, they just do it. They're very animalistic and yeah. how they approach things versus let's, let's look at this and let's really think about it. It's just a very, it's very primal and how they approach things. Well, you're right. And don't, don't quote me on this, but I want to say off the top of my head that I feel like 98% of our behavior that we do every day is done on like default, like unconscious hmm. to your point. Like we are doing the same thing over and over and over. Right. And uh, yeah, some of it's rote stuff like, right. Brushing your teeth, but yeah. if it's dysfunctional patterns. You're right. And so what you said earlier, I think is important about this sort of awakening that we're having. And mm -hmm. I feel like the awakening that I think probably you, I, and other like-minded people are doing is sort of, I think, teaching that uh, the whole concept of consciousness to people. Yes. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, you just pumped up. You know, when I started this podcast, I was having several guests and we would talk about consciousness actually yeah. quite a bit. So it's a... Uh, Something actually, I was listening to um, Deepak Chopra's yeah. Infinite. Uh, it's, it's a podcast. It's really good. He doesn't update it much, though, which I'm like, this is a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really like, yeah. listen to this. Come on, Deepak. <laughs> but it's almost kind of this whole thing. I, I find it, I, you know, I don't think it's controversial to me, but I think maybe other people might see it this way in that he talks a lot about, he didn't talk about himself, but he got it from other people that, that we are kind of infinite beings living a very concrete human life. Yes. In a sense that we're big, we're bigger than what we are, but we're kind of stuck in this very human experience mm -hmm. as infinite, infinite beings. Yeah. And I, that was, that like really hit me hard when he said it. I was like, wow, I, I'm kind of, I'm into that idea. Yeah. <laughs> you know? We don't, we, but we don't really always see ourselves that way. We go about our lives on a regular basis and we don't process that type of depth of information about ourselves. We're yeah. processing very, very, we're skimming a surface constantly, just existing in many ways. Exactly. Um, yeah. It's like that whole thing about like being in the forest, but not being able to like, What's that? I was like seeing the trees, right? Like from above, like yeah. it, but you don't can't see it all. And so 
yeah, I guess you can't see what you can't see until you see it, right? So yeah. when you start seeing it, um, you know what? Someone once said this good metaphor of like a New York City building, right? Like if you live on the first floor and you look out your window, all you see is like concrete, right? Mm-hmm. But you move to the fourth floor, like you're like, oh, wow, look out there. There's a park, you know, I see other buildings. And then you like, you move to the top, top floor of like, consciousness, <laughs> right? And you're like, oh my God, there's water and there's city <laughs> and everything around. And so that's kind of right. A like where, you know, going from that everyday, like this basic human experience is starting to like step out and see more, right? Seeing even our own experience, right? So like in therapy, especially, we're bringing consciousness to your own experiencing, like stepping outside mm-hmm. of it to not be in the movie, but to see the movie, right? And seeing how yeah. you're act- acting in that movie and in relation. So that distance, right, gives us a little bit more power to continue patterns or to release patterns that don't work for us anymore, you know? Yeah. As well as to just understand emotions and how to regulate that. So that gives us like more of a, um, in conscious navigation, I think, of our life and our experiences mm. um, and how to relate to them. So we don't find ourselves dating the same deadbeat, you know. <laughs> or, no, people have a bad picker. They're always picking the worst people every time. Oh, it's like, yeah. It's like, man, I, come on. Yeah. <laughs> like, like you said, I think we've all would have done, I think we all would have done a lot better if, yeah, someone at like, 16 was like let's sit down and write your list of what's healthy unhealthy and ideally you know and be like all right thank you would have saved me like 10 years thank you (laughs) (laughs) you know i've heard from some one of my colleagues is that you know people maybe are more awake because they have more time to think about their life in a larger way these days than they made it a very historical context like you know when people were hunting and gathering like you couldn't really think about your existence on a large scale because you're just trying to survive. Yeah. And it was just like, Hey, yep. am I going to eat today? Am I going to live today? Type yeah. of thing. And most humans nowadays are more like, well, generally I probably have answered those questions. I'm going to eat something. I'm probably going to live, you know, I have shelter, I have all these basic things. What is my life about more? And right. uh, I thought it was a very interesting perspective. Uh, But I do see that more people, I think, are asking the question, what is the meaning of my life? And how do I exist in this this uh, finite, you know, physical experience? And what's there out there beyond that for me? Yeah. Yeah. I think we're in a time and I know people have a lot of different theories, especially Mm -hmm. um, people more in the spiritualist realm of like, yeah, why is this collective awakening happening now if you ascribe to believing it? Um, and your point is, yeah, I do think more people are existentially paying attention to things. Is that because there's crises in, in the world and our, mm. our time and living? I don't know the answer to that. But yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I personally can tell you with my experience with my clients – and it does parallel. It's interesting. Um, it parallels my own experiences of my own awakening. We'll just say within this life, right? Mm-hmm. Like awakening, becoming integrated with my my healing and my own mind body. Like I started attracting a lot more clients who are coming in at, I say, like a crisis point in their life. 
and it may be your typical stuff as, that we're familiar with. There's a you know, job change or relationship loss, a grief, but you know, they are much more, people are desiring to look at that bigger existential, like, well, what is life all about? You mm-hmm. know, it's not just am I happy, but am I living in congruence? Like, what is this all about? Cause a lot, I'm in the DC area, you know, yeah. we got a high stress level. Um, but, People are making big money. They've got good jobs, family, the big house, and they're like, but I'm not happy, right? Right. What is that? More people, I read all this information about people are lonelier than ever. Yeah. Stressed out, anxious. They have more money. They have more things. They're meeting their basic needs, but they're not feeling good about it. Hmm. Well, because, okay, my personal opinion, like, I think that (laughs) I think the simple things are what the things that we thrive, uh, we, we crave the most, right. Which is connection and love. And, you know, we're in a society that has values, individualism, like there's breakdown overall community, family units. This is like more of a be success drive, like, but we're finding money, materialism and things are not bringing the happiness on an existential mm-hmm. level. At least it's, yeah. it's not, you know, people are not, you know, at the end of the day, we're lonely because people were designed to be connected. True. Right. So, right. So, so the honey and gather, same time they probably felt fulfilled with their connections. You know, I can't yeah. say that for sure, but like, People, I mean, especially in our area, everyone's transient. So, so many people have migrated, right, away from their families and things. And and on one token, right, it's great that people, including myself, I've done it too. I'm like, I feel a sense of independence. I've been able to have great life experiences and learning, but I miss my family. I wish they were around the corner. Yeah, I mean, we're we're more pack animals than we want to believe. I mean, we... We're a lot, we lot really like dogs. Seriously, are. dogs are pack animals, and we associate with dogs quite a bit. Human beings, we love, you know, pets and animals, and but pe- people are so much like that. We're a very pack mentality, although we try to say we're not at the time. You know, I'm just I right. like being alone. Like probably not, uh, you know, right. but we do need each right. other. And I think there's this. Then there you add in the whole the the whole big elephant of social media and all these connection opportunities and people are more connected, Mm -hmm. but more disconnected. And there's all these like ironic things that, you know, we're doing this. Now we're doing this podcast. You and I we're on the opposite side of the country. We're having a conversation, but you know, a lot, a lot, not a lot of people are actually having these type of conversations. They're not, they're just texting people, (laughs) you know, and stuff right they're not talking right. about existential crises yeah. and they're not talking about where do they fit in life i've learned that so much in my life not with talking to tons of people all the time they are not doing this this is completely yeah. outside of their comfort zone and their range on a regular basis right I do find, and I wonder if you have the same experience where like once you become more aware, you start finding more people who are talking uh-huh. about it or interested yeah. in talking yeah. about it. You know, it's like it starts gravitating, but it is I agree. It's new. And I've also found like maybe some of our job is to raise mm-hmm. the questions. Um, because 
people may not be thinking like that or receptive to it, but sometimes it's a seed, right? And then like when they're at their point in their journey where they are questioning it, like it may be two, five years, 10 years, and they'll be like, oh yeah, you know, all right. Yes. I kind of know what they were talking about now. So I've, I've found it trying not to pull people along to see things. Um, Cause I do think it happens for us at different yeah. times when, that that awakening do you do you feel that people like obviously are aware of maslow's hierarchy and all that stuff um do you feel like well one do you do you prescribe to that or subscribe to that and one if you do you think that some like people are suddenly getting higher in that towards self-actualization before that yeah yes i do subscribe to that and i do think people are becoming more actualized i don't know why or maybe maybe the more actualized people are talking <laughs> to each other more uh, i don't know why it's happening now but i feel like once you start tuning in i'm like wow there are a lot of people who are on this wavelength so i mean are we all just having these weird insights you know or are we at a time where they're actually is a profound need for awakening. I think there's possibly a need for it at this time. I think we're, because we're entering a time of yeah. tremendous techno- technological advancement. I mean, I, I remember like back yeah. in the eighties and stuff when I was growing up, like, you know, a couple of new things would come out here yeah. and there. And now it's like a new thing every day, every week. It's just the technology is booming, right. constant new phones, new devices, new technology, new apps. It's like constantly in your face. And while those are, yeah. can be very beneficial for ways of making humans' lives easier, it's also pulling them away from what we're doing right now in many ways. Yeah. I mean, I, you just trigger your memory. I'm like, do you remember how exciting it was when there was like the first wireless yeah. phone? Yeah. Just the house phone. Like, yeah. Amazing. Right? Yeah. And <laughs> I, I never thought I'd be like, you know, remember back then, but it's true. Like the thing, and I value also child of the eighties. Um, right. And I, you're hitting it on the head, the simplicity of the times, which, and where we did connect more to our experience, to people and to things. So, I, I think something's interesting, and if you yeah. bear with me a second, like with the tech, the technology, right? We know that's disconnecting us, right? Um, you know, when we talk about meditation and being present and all this, right? Now, this is stuff that people have been doing right. for thousands of years, right? right? <laughs> but we're only like just right. cluing in here <laughs> in the U.S. and and even even east uh, west coast, way more oh, yeah. than east coast, right? But because finally there's some scientific studies that are proving some stuff we're listening, right? So thank God for the scientific <laughs> studies. So like it's more credibility and it's not frou-frou, right? We're like we've got science backing. Um, but we're, um, you know, from a primitive standpoint, one of the things uh, I thought was interesting I heard from someone was like, hey, you know, that fight or flight that you mentioned earlier and that survival, that like our current our normal state isn't always just to be present, right? It's uh, primitively or evolutionary is right to be reviewing things from the past to make sure we don't make those mistakes and we can survive. Right. Or scanning forward and planning. Right. So most people, I feel like 
who haven't gone through their own consciousness or teeter tattering like back or forth in this area it's a lot of future like anxiety all the time planning 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 and like just robbing them of the moment so that in our own self i think is just realizing we can reset to what is our i think natural spiritual Mm. state the the way we're actually born Right. right kids babies are born present right they want to feed touch feel feed right until we you know are taken (laughs) out of that but um so it's actually it's 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 kind of nice bringing people back down to the back to that just original state but that's hard in its in its own self just training the mind it's possible but it it takes a little bit of training as you are probably well familiar Mm -hmm. with mindful meditation and and practice but when you've got technology and all these other things that keep reinforcing how easily taking you out of your experience, right? And the addictive part of your brain, like picking up with the phone and all of that. Yeah. So, so there's a lot of challenges or, or things that are definitely reinforcing staying out of present experience. So I think that for sure is a, a drawback of all our advances in technology. Uh, it's an interesting kind of push-pull aspect because mm-hmm. we're you know we're pulling towards this incredible advances that i'm like anybody i think this i think it's incredible when we saw these jumps in technology and you know they see like self-driving cars and all this futuristic stuff i'm like wow this is incredible yeah. but then i see how humans especially younger humans <laughs> interact with each other. I mean, mm-hmm. I have a really good friend in Denver who did a speaking tour and she spoke at his colleges and she said, I've never seen more anxious and nervous people in my life than at these universities. Yeah. These kids are like completely stressed out of their mind. And I'm thinking like when I was in yeah. college, I was just having great times. <laughs> just like loving it. Right. Like, Woo, I'm on my own. I'm having a great time, baby. Oh yeah. yeah. And they're like nerves. They're like stressed out. <laughs> like, how about what? Yeah. <laughs> right? This like this is supposed to be the easy yeah. time in your life, friends. Wait you have know? Re- real responsibility, <laughs> actually. I mean, right. So what do you make of I that? I think that, um, I, you know, I have, I have a very, I'm going to ask you to bear with me now, because I'm going to go on a little yeah. bit of a thing here. So I, okay. you know, I once saw this, uh, this is a wraparound point, this comedy special. There's this guy, Jay Moore, um, a while ago. And he was like, you mm-hmm. know, I tell my kids I love them. And I feel like they we're the first generations of dads to tell our kids that we love them. Like, we're not these stoic, weird dads. Yeah. Anymore. We're just like, well, you know I love you. I mean, you know, I don't have to tell you, you know, type of thing. Mm-hmm. But then it kind of created these parents who, like, tell their kids they love them constantly. And then never... Yeah are accountable to their bad behaviors or inappropriate behaviors. Oh, I'd love, I'm just going to love it away. I'm going to love it away. You know, I'm going to be over, it sounds weird, kind of overdo it. No. And then, so then I actually think those parents created millennials and, and those, so now, (laughs) now the stuff that people get on about millennials about, you know, not, you know, jumping jobs all the time, like always getting a medal all the time, even if you're like in 10th place or something, uh, just like, just, you know, you're great no matter what, you know, you've failure. What's that? Yeah. What's failure? Yeah. 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 No, you know what? Don't fail at all. Every- don't do that. 
<laughs> you know, oh, yeah. and I see that I've yeah. seen that, and that has produced today's people. Well, also, then the parents also take the children and say, "Leave home, no, live with me, just live with me for as long as it works mm-hmm. for you." You know, blah 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 blah. Enablement, enablement, and I think when these kids actually get out into the world, they are. Excuse me, they're fucking scared out of their mind. They're like, I've never yeah. had to do anything for myself ever. My dad pumped my gas for me. I brought yeah. on my groceries. Yeah. I've never bought a pair of underwear ever in my life. I'm generalizing yeah. very hard right now. I understand. But no, I think there's a huge, true, I know so many millennials. I love talking to young people. I just, I like the youth, you know, of, of people and just where they're at. I remember that time. And I just see a lot of people were like, they grew up on cell phones. They grew up, they don't even talk on the phone. Everything's an app. Their communication is through emojis. Yeah. And through very pithy texting behavior. Yeah, they're nervous because they don't know how to talk to a person to actually get to fall in love with somebody because they don't know how to do that. They don't know how to right. do anything except for use their phone really well. <laughs> like. That's my thing. That's my rant. Okay. Uh, Like I'll just echo on that. Like last point, (laughs) I was just talking about that with like working, right? Like I'll just say I have some extended family members who like the kids are in college. They're about to graduate. They've never worked. That's crazy. Hustling. I was like, I was hustling for money since I was six, you know? <laughs> I was like, I'm like, they've never had a side job or even like, so I, I'm like, talk about framework of what we were talking about earlier. How do you even know how to act in a work environment, right? Or what to expect, like, without any life experience. So, so you know, going back to your point of overcompensation by the parents, so... Right. We have our traumas within this life, but then there's like family and generational yes. traumas, right? So like if parents come to the table and often parents are doing the best that they of can course. based on what they know, right? And so then you get, right. So I think we are in these times where we're having, right, more aware parents and who are definitely like, wow, I don't want to be my mom or dad. Yeah. And I love when they come to therapy because I'm like, great. You won't be if you don't want it. Yeah. But let's make sure you're not them in the right way. So what, uh, what you're saying, I was seeing for sure, like 10 years ago, definitely uh, when it, and it still applies now, like financially, right? Yeah. So many people growing up uh, who, right, didn't have money. And then once they had, right, they're giving their kids everything, everything. right? And so, but once the kids were like five and six started tantruming, they're like, Hey, can you fix them? And I'm like, uh, I'm like, well, I'm like, because there's no boundaries, you know. So, but I understand like that, like love, which is great, right? They have love and they're caring. They want their children to be happy and successful. However, it's right, like dialing back in, right, to be able to do that in a way that's productive and helpful because we learn from our life experiences but that means that parents also need to be comfortable with sitting with discomfort yes to see their children fall on a playground to see them fail and not do their homework for them right and like entrusting that like your kids are strong enough or resilient enough because you know you're actually loving them and teaching them things so but i think that's that's their own fears when their fears are unchecked right that gets transferred into the kids and that can create totally i mean imagine like i was working in high school i had a job 
pretty regular. And over the summer, especially too, I was working. I wanted my own money. I didn't want to ask my parents yeah. for money. That was like a big thing. Yes. I think for people in my generation was like, we want our own money. We don't want to have to ask our parents yep. all the time for stuff. Yes. And want to be independent. And so when I got to college, yeah. I had done all that stuff already. And, you know, I knew how to cook my own food and take care. I mean, I have young friends who literally they've never made their own meal ever. And I'm like, you're like 26. Yeah. How is this possible? Right. <laughs> I'm like... I'm like, aren't you nervous if, like, you're by yourself and you don't know how to feed yourself, like, right? Like, the survival, my wife always goes, she's like, yes. today's generation, like, they would never survive, like, in a, in a survival environment. Like, if the stakes were down, like, they would just curl up in a ball and fall apart. Like, they just, they don't have any survival. They have killed their ancient survival skills, like, literally. It would be an interesting psychological experiment to do if we could do it without creating that's harm, true, right? True. Like, because yeah. there's part of me that's like, yes, you're absolutely right. And then I'm like, there's another part that hopes it's somewhere in that like higher spiritual self that they'd figure it out. But I don't think we're doing, I don't think some of the practices we've been mentioning that uh, generations are doing are, are helping their children <laughs> with survival, no. right? No, not no. at all. I think the thing is like, and you've experienced as well, it's like, when you grew up without this technology, you could just always go back to without it. You, you could. You could be like, man, eh, yeah. I've, I've existed without texting and cell phones. And I've written people's phone numbers on their hand before, you know, on yeah. my hand. Yeah. You know, like a, think about people today. They have no clue what it's like to do that. Like when you have to talk to somebody and you had to go to a pay right. phone and put the quarter in there. You know, and, yeah. you know, <laughs> you accept the call, like, and you had, the only way you could talk to people is actually talk to them, you know? Right. And I think like, I could easily go back to that. It would be no problem for me. Zero. I could start memorizing people's phone numbers again. No big deal type of thing. Mm -hmm. But if you never had that, ever had sure. that, it would be like learning a new language completely. It would upend people's right. lives completely. Totally. You know, so I think it's. I think the awakening and sometimes when a pendulum swings, like I think there was way you know, kind of your fifties, you know, especially your forties, fifties parents was like, Hey, children are seen, not heard, really no outward affection of love. You know, um, there was really no interaction engagement and a lot of in spouses too. There really wasn't a lot of that outward affection and the right. loveliness with it. Women were often, you know, in relationships where they had to basically be in a certain type of relationship where they took care of children the man was a breadwinner or whatever these defined gender roles and i think all of that has kind of been blown up at this point yeah and and but so we went from that and then we went from this opposite thing it's like overcompensation you're good at everything you, you, this you know, this is another thing that's kind of gets me is you can do whatever you want i'm like probably not it's probably not true uh, you can do anything right. you put in your mind to them. Like, listen, I would love to be an astronaut, but I, <laughs> math is not good for me, man. Calculations, right. equations. No, I can't do that. I, I think we tell people, we give people pipe dreams all the time. You, you could be the president of the United States. Probably not. You don't have the cachet to fund, raise that amount of money. You don't have the basically public uh, you know, popularity for that. It's not for everybody. Not everything is for everybody just because you want it. Right. Right. I think we tell people like, things that are not true. I never tell my daughter, you can be whatever you want. 
I'm like, well, you can be whatever, you know, your gifts move you towards. And what, what is your effort? What do you put effort into regularly that you love and that, you know, you have an aptitude for? But, you know, I'm yeah. not going to tell her she's going to be like the next great skydiver. If she like hates heights and stuff like that. I'm like, right. I don't get exactly. this society. Like you can do anything you want. I'm like, probably not. <laughs> I'm like, I like, I listen to this this i i won't name her but she's a spiritual pretty well-known uh mystic and she mm-hmm. uh and respected too but she had she was a little let's say crotchy the same she was yeah. like you parents you're telling your kids they're special and she had a good point she's like, stop <laughs> telling them they're so special she's like they're not that special. She's like, guess what? <laughs> when they get out of college and they're like, I'm getting a hundred dollar job and they are flat out denied. She's like, guess what happens? Breakdown, right? So Breakdown. your point, right? We keep saying everything and anything is attainable versus like just setting up a reasonable success as just reasonable, you know, reasonable yeah. success, right? Find ways to be successful. Um, so Yeah. That's a really good point. Like my, my husband is a history teacher and mm-hmm. he's like, I gotta love him. Like he's a, an old school, like routine kind of guy. And yeah. he's like, refuses to use any of the new technology. <laughs> he, like, <laughs> he like photocopies, like hands out everything, <laughs> makes everything. And like, I swear his, and he's in a, his school is a, you know, a very challenging school district. Um, you know, kids with, parents that are not involved at all you know yeah. trying to kids are really just trying to survive but right. shocker guess his kids he gets a 100 percent pass rate on their um standard learning because uh-huh. he's like engaging with them all the time and doing so his whole thing is these old old school techniques and along with that is also not subscribing to the school's philosophy of just, well, let them retake everything and keep retaking and retaking, <laughs> right? So they can get a better grade. He's like, life is not like that. No like fail. There's saying, no failure. <laughs> what, what great, like, what job can you fail repeatedly and be like, hey, could I just, you know, make that a little bit better? No job, you know? No. And he communicates that with them. He was like, listen, he was like, you know your expectations. You didn't do your homework. No. Like, I mean, obviously there's exceptions here and there, but he sure. was like, He's like, it's not real life. So, you know, he's very much kind of on that um, same wavelength. Like, this is what you need to know about society. And why don't we teach them what to know and how to navigate that, right? Like, and equip them with survival skills or people skills or strategy skills. You're going to lose. and You're going to lose. It just happens. Life happens. You lose some. That's the whole term. You win some, you lose some. That's that whole term. Not everybody's a not everybody's a winner, you know. Like, yeah, it's not like you yeah. win some, you win some. You know, it doesn't work that yeah. way. Yeah, you know, it's just shielding people from failure, from losing. Right. It's like you're gonna take an L from time to time. It's just right. The and well, what we really need to be doing is helping children and people around the experience of failure, disappointment, sadness, right? Because you know. If you, let's say, your team doesn't win, right? Yeah. And that's sad. It doesn't mean anything else than that, right? And that's the biggest thing that happens for us. Like, even if if we fail, like, 
if we found something and it's disappointing, but when we start adding the story, well, I'm not good enough or I'll never be, yeah. or I'm unworthy. Right. Like that's what adds all the weights. Yeah. It's prepared people just to like deal with emotions. And I always joke. Cause I'm like, actually, if you just feel an emotion, according to like Harvard study, if you just feel an emotion without attaching to it, it'll be gone in like less than three minutes. Mm. I'm like, when oh. people start feeling their emotions, I'm out of business. Like, <laughs> I am, right? Because, like, everybody tries uh, to avoid uncomfortable emotions, right? It's true. Want to lock them away. And that is one of the worst things we can do, you know? And that's a big misconception, right? Because people think if they're doing well, they're feeling happy all the time. No, like, doing well and being, like, content, like, in your clear content, like, wise mind means that you feel a whole variety of emotions. You're that's content, right. right? But then you feel happy, and then you feel sad, and then you feel anxious. Like, that's all part of our experience, you know? But everyone, patho- uh, you know, pathologizes negative emotion, right? Yes. Versus, like, yes. man, those Buddhists, they have it all figured out. They were what? like, this is part of life. Deal with it. <laughs> It's funny, man. That's that's could be part of the whole kind of spiritual awakening for people. Is yeah. it's like, hey, you know, you need to get in touch with, in many ways, your infinite self, and understanding that this this is much bigger than you. And when you deny that, you're denying what it means to be this this infinite person, this being right. that you are. And so you're contextualizing everything in this very concrete way. Yeah, this very surface way, like. He's hot. She's hot. I like ice cream. I want this. I want to win. <laughs> it's stuff that really doesn't mean anything. You right. know, so it, you know, it's it's looking. It's it's kind of like I had a um, the person before you. I had on our podcast is a, a love and dating relationship expert. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing, which was it was a fascinating podcast. It was awesome. Yeah. And and it was and we were talking. She was talking about you know mature attraction. Mm-hmm. Mature attraction is more of like infinite being based attraction. It's yeah. does the person inspire you? Do right. they are they responsible? Do they look beyond themselves for things versus like, man, she looks good in that bikini, man. You know, it's just like right. you, know, right. you know, or just this, you know, attraction of uh deprivation is what she was talking about. It was very interesting stuff. And like we have to get in touch with who we really are and it's a much bigger thing than you think it is it's huge yeah yeah and so like that like you know really draws me like the consciousness of like you know when you find people at the concrete level and then you're just like okay just become aware of your experience but then like you start framing and like okay well we have a higher wiser mind and like our connection spiritually right whether right whatever framework that is into you but if we're looking at that separation of spirit and a uh, human experience, right. The idea is our, our central spirit, like really at the core, right. We're positive, you know, good souls, right. At least that's my yeah. assumption. Yeah. But like what we are not tuned to, cause we're not aware of that is like how to tune into that. And I, that's what I'll refer to as like intuition. Like your higher, wiser mind is always going to lead you in the right direction, you know, and give you the answers yeah. and the things that are right for you. And those generally tend to be positive, you know, and healthy yeah. things. Um, cause they're aligned with higher values. Right. So 
I like also, like you said, just echoing what you're saying, but like teaching people that art of also tuning into their intuition, their wiser mind. And I'm always like, hey, guess what? You have super secret powers you don't even know about, you know? Exactly. (laughs) And then when you start, like, you know, because then it's that freeing from the stuff, right? You're humanly experienced the the things that stop you from... Right. Being connected to yourself. When you're connected to yourself, right, you can see more. Then you also see beyond yourself. Right. Mm, So well said. Yes. Yeah. And you have that compassion for others and that connectedness. And for me, it's it's always about like, okay, well, what how am I helping others to become, you know, their best selves? Right. And and, you know, uh, and, you know, like in everything in society, I think like you're in a higher denominators have to help the lower denominators, right? Yeah. Like bringing people up, right? The consciousness. So there is this experience where I think when you find yourself, then you're spreading that love outward. You know, you I agree. Connected. Well, mm-hmm. let me ask you. So, yeah. How do you, how does your work in therapy with clients affect your personal work for yourself? Um, in what way? Well, you know, it's interesting. What, you know, a lot of people in different professions where they do one thing and then they are, this is, I'm not saying this is you, yeah, but yeah. like, you know, it's like the respiratory therapist who smokes cigarettes, you know, it's kind of yeah, like, yeah, hey, yeah, yeah. you're telling people not yeah. to do this stuff, but then you're yeah. doing it. Like, how, how does it influence? Because I'm very fascinated in how people, like, let's say somebody is, is like in my profession with, you know, fitness and stuff. And they're like, oh, you need to be, you need to be exercise. You need to be fit, blah, blah, blah. And then that person's like, well, I don't really do much myself, but I'm right. telling you, how do you reconcile yeah. that for yourself? The therapy you provide to other people, how do you follow that advice? If it's applicable to you in your own life? So what I'm saying is I don't see myself um, much different um, in the therapy room than outside of here in the sense that I say to everyone, I think we're all interconnected on the same journey, right, of Mm -hmm. uh, figuring out this wild experience of life and becoming our best selves. So, um, you know, the conversations I have in relation to that are the same that I have with my friends, family, and for myself, right? So I feel very strongly about if I am trying to help people that I also need to be walking the walk too, um, to, because I think people, people are smart. They sense, uh, authenticity, um, and they know when you're, you know, inauthentic, right. Which also means it gives me the, uh, you know, I think over the years, I've actually, one of the things that's helped me is to like actually be authentic in it to say to them, because I never tell people what to do, but I'm, I'm always saying, Hey, this is a lifelong process of us, right. Figuring things out, clearing things out, struggling. And I too, for sure have some habits and patterns that are still happening. Right. And, um, but I'm definitely motivated to continue working through things. And I always feel like I've got to be a couple steps ahead of any of my clients. Right. Yeah. I'm unhealthy. Right. Uh, like, cause as therapists, we're always monitoring, right. Like our stuff and how that comes out. Right. And, um, so it is important, um, 
personally, it's very motivating because, you know, at the end of the day, I do feel I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I feel like my contribution is to, is for the higher good. So I take it seriously, um, you know, but I think it's also, I mean, helps me to understand everyone else's experience, right? <laughs> so sometimes I do share like things if there's a struggle just slightly to be like, absolutely, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that's important just for that, like bonding because you probably have, see, I'm not sitting here being more of a academic and talking about all the theories <laughs> and what you should do. Yeah. And I used to think I needed to be like that. And then someone oh, really? was like, yeah, well, you know, you have your ideas of, right, the psychologist mm -hmm. sitting there in a certain way. <laughs> and then I was like, that's just not me, you know, yeah. like, I kind of consider myself like the everyday psychologist, right? So I like that. <laughs> and I've got EDD, like most creative minds. And uh, <laughs> sometimes I forget the names of theories or books. And, and yeah. instead of like overcompensating, I would just say to the people like, I'm sorry, I forgot. And they're like, oh, we're so glad like you're human too. And I'm like, well, absolutely. Right. So for that relatability factor too, I think it's important, right. To be honest with the experience, but I'm definitely doing a disservice for them. If I'm not trying to be the healthiest person I can be. At yeah. most times. Um, and especially with trauma clients, like they don't miss a thing, you know, <laughs> like if you're exhausted and you come in and they're like, Hey, um, how you feeling today? And I'm like, Oh, I'm great. They're like bull <laughs> bullshit. You know? Yeah. They're like, come on. And you're ruining trust. So like, but I can be like, Hey, you know what? I, I am, you know, today I am tired, you know, thanks for noticing, um, but I'm okay. So, but at the end of the day, I'm always trying to check and, you know, hey, am I showing up in the best way for yeah. clients? And that's been challenging while building a business. Um, <laughs> Certainly. You know, uh, but yeah, so long answer, but absolutely, <laughs> I, I try to be, uh, you know, at least working on the same journey, you know, if not the same things, but the same concepts, you know. I like that everyday psychologist. I think that's good. I think people relate to other humans when you humanize the experience with people. And for that, I think I, sometimes I have colleagues, I think that they're so focused on knowing the names of all their peers and name dropping and all of the, you know, who's done this and who's created this system and that system. And they're so technical. Yeah. And I go, you know, I mean, it's great to have the knowledge and stuff like that. And, but I think with people, when you're dealing with human beings, they need to feel the sense of like, you're not some overarching great grandmaster above them and floating, you know, like you need to be relatable and you need to have problems too. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm sure that I puzzle people because like, so we're in this pretty neat community where there's a lot of holistic health and wellness people. And a lot of them are similar, like aligned like us, want to do higher mm -hmm. good and they're operating without ego. So it's amazing. So like, I feel a big gift of mine is connecting people. So we like co-create and collaborate things. And I love to work with other people that don't have ego. They're not competing because goodness, there's plenty of people to be helped. And if we're all helping and working together, right, yes. we're doing better jobs. But, but I like also doing like innovative things. So now you, this might be atypical for most psychologists, but like, 
I lead like the bar crawls in town. Right? Love it. So, <laughs> so I was like, why I'm in a community that there's so many amazing people that are helping do fundraising for different things. And, and it's been an interest of mine for a while. And then I was like, well, why are we not tapping into the drinking population? Right. Which <laughs> are most of my friends. Right. And right. But, Same here. <laughs> and shocker they've been the biggest fundraisers in town because <laughs> it's a party but like for me i'm gonna get at that community wellness get out and meet your neighbors right like yeah. who are your neighbors how you and people love it right and shocker people want to actually do good for others but they you know they don't volunteer they don't know where to do it so they like to give money and they like to give more money when they're drinking so true um <laughs> So that's a big focus here for us to also do creative and innovative things, um, not necessarily bar crawl, but like, you know, doing different workshops and stuff that are going to get the people that may not come through the therapy door. So, right. So to come and talk and just say, hey, let's talk about this these life things like you and I are just talking right now, but without that pressure, because a lot of it is just seeds, right. And mindsets, like giving yes. people a question to think about that might alter. A, it may be a big shift for them. You know, you never know, but again, if we're not having the conversation, right. Then I got to tell you, I've had some of the best conversations I've ever had in my life when I went, when I was drinking, man. Yes. Like I'm talking like talking about the cosmos, the universe yep. and stuff. My buddies, whenever we get together and we drink, we literally start talking about these expansive things. And yes. we, we had this whole thing. We're like, you know, let's just have like two, maybe three, because it'll put us in the zone where like we can have these intelligent big conversation yes. beyond that you just get stupid at that point <laughs> you just you turn into an idiot after that right. but in it we find it to be very mind expanding and consciousness you know discussions about it and i just i feel like i grow during those yeah. discussions i become a bigger version of myself from that yeah i love the word expansive yeah oh yeah because i mean i seriously i've been hammered talking about the universe <laughs> and I'm telling you and yeah. it grabbed me and we're talking and people are probably like, why are these guys talking about black holes and dark matter and yeah. stuff and they're drinking, they're yelling and stuff. And it's just like, cause you're uninhibited. And there's, there's yeah. some, there's some, there's people out there microdosing things and here and there just so they can have a little more creativity, take the wall yeah. down. Some yeah. Stuff, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, how are you not talking about these things? Right. Like, right. So fascinating. Right. And, and that is a very great example of a strategic use of alcohol, right? Right, right. <laughs> We're actually but, smart about it. We're very smart about it. We're very much into the conversation. Yeah. And that the, it sounds funny, the liquid being the transportation to that conversation in a very smart way way i know it sounds somebody's gonna listen to this be like you're full of shit talking about you just want to get get toasted i'm like well yeah a little bit but i also love i've also had like six seven hour conversations just over drinks with people yeah and it's it's um it's it honestly it pulls you up a level it pulls your your consciousness what you think about things how you feel about you know where your place is in the universe and all that i would not have had that if we didn't meet and had a few uh, very strong beers. I'm serious. It's it's just totally true on my experience with that. You know? Yeah. 
<laughs> totally big, true. I'm a big yeah. proponent of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, you know, probably what's most important is that you guys, like, kind of, you know, in a way, like, there's just this, the intentions are already there, right? Like, the intention of is to I mean, I can tell you right now, just my experience talking with you, I'm going on very limited sleep, been tired all, <laughs> all day. And like in our conversation right now, I'm like standing, my arms You're are pumped up. My arms are, right? Like, yeah. so that's where, you know, I'm always like, it's interesting. And I think I love having the conversation. And that's why I also appreciate you and what you're doing and, and, Thank you. and talking with me because it's like, this is exciting stuff, right? We've got to be onto something. Right. We're on to something. Yeah. It's very exciting. And I knew, you know, when I talked to you the first time, I was like, okay, there's, there's something here. I want to have an extended conversation uh, on the podcast because, one, I think it's great if just you and I were talking, but also other people are going to listen. And it's going to hopefully teach them to say, hey, maybe I should be talking about these things. These yeah. are interesting topics. You know, and I'm broaching all types of stuff. I have a guy coming on. We're going to be talking about psychedelics. Yeah. And research behind yeah. it. That's we're talking about stuff. I got one on Friday that I'm going to be talking where a person's talking to me about uh, our psychedelic experiences and John Hopkins research and all this stuff, weed, everything. I'm, I'm willing to take it. I'm willing to have the conversations. I'm willing to do it. Yeah. I'm willing to put it out there and say, hey, we're in a great time right now. Let's maximize talking about this stuff. So, and Dr. Fisher, I appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate you, too. And I think you kind of just gave an, an idea for people, too, of, like, you know, I feel like a really easy way is for them to say to other people, like, have you ever thought about this? Like, have you, mm -hmm. has it ever crossed your mind? And I feel more people are going to find that others are thinking about stuff, but they, they haven't shared it with anybody. Yes. You know? Oh, yes. And like sure. the first time I did that was more around paranormal experiences. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> a lot of spirits, yeah. you know, with deceased people and that everyone's like, Oh my God, this happened to me. And that happened. Yeah. And that's an interesting segue. Cause again, that just goes into something greater than right. This existence right here exactly. in this life. But again, I think people want to have a conversation. Just someone like you needs to be asking the questions, right? That's right. I, that's my whole thing, man. I never go on this whole podcast and go, Hey, Here's what we're going to talk about. I have no clue that we were going to talk about this stuff. None. I, I don't want to. I, I want yeah. it to just flow through me. The questions. Yeah. I yeah. literally, we, we get on here and we say hello. I have no clue what I'm going to ask you <laughs> at all. Zero. I, I love I that. just get intuitive. I hear what you tell me and then it just brings up something for you to ask. And then we just go on this pathway. Then we start talking about that. And we just wind around this road. And that's a gift. That's my gift. Yeah, I've known that is like I can just tap into whatever the person's telling me and it just spills out what I want to talk to them about. And it actually works opposite. Totally. If I have something ahead of time, it stunts that gift of mine because then I feel like I have to follow that format. Oh, you are 100 percent right. And I'm so I got to be like unscripted. That's like I have yeah. to just let it flow from me. And, you know, I echo that, too. And you probably saw when I wrote in my email to you that I'm like, is mm -hmm. there a focus? And then even before I got on today, there's that uh, my human anxious part, like, uh oh, like, what's he going <laughs> to ask? And are you going to be prepared? Right. That, 
that old voice I've worked so hard to overcome. Mm. And so like, and I feel the same way you do. And it's, but I was, there was a slight nervousness like, uh Oh, are you good? Are you going to be that person that he's going to be like, all right, <laughs> I'm done after 10 minutes. Goodbye. So, <laughs> you know, so yeah, I mean, I think again, going back to right, the gift of like, right. You tuning into your mind, like wherever you want to believe that's coming from your wiser mind or it's being channeled. Like it's flow, yeah. right? You're going with flow and it's working. It's just the flow. It feels it, right? It just I, feels authentic. That's the number yeah. one thing I get when people write reviews or they say, you know, I listen to your podcast. It's like, it's like you just know about these people. You yeah. talk to them. You're having a very casual conversation with every single person. I'm like, yeah. And the funny thing is I don't know any of these people. Yeah. <laughs> I literally don't know them. It's the same thing I would do at a bar though. I'd go up and say, Hey, how's it going? And then all the five hours later, we've had this amazing conversation. It's a skill that yeah. I think going back to millennials and people in general today, they don't possess the skill because they've blunted it, you know, in the right. sense they don't allow themselves to just, it, it's not a script. This isn't a TV show. It's your life. Talking to people is just talking. Just yeah. talk. Yeah. And sometimes you will talk to people and you're like, they're giving me nothing. So, yeah, you know, which is kind of why I talk to people ahead of time here and this sure. to see, is there some chemistry do I think it'll flow? And sometimes I like to challenge myself and be like, I don't want to talk to this person at all until they come on the podcast. I want to see, I want to sharpen my sword. Yep. Doing this, you know? Yeah. Reinforcing your gift. Yeah. Skill or I'm gift. all about it. I say gift. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, it's, it's just cool. reinforcing it all the time. When I do this podcast, I'm just improving Absolutely. the skill of talking to people. Right. Or being able to connect with anybody at any point in time, which is that's exactly right. That's and I want to. So it's like when I talk to people like yourself and it's funny afterwards, people always go, man, I was saying a lot more than I thought I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> and it is true. Like, I do feel like I'm knowing you. And like, I mean, the fact that like you just us having this conversation and helping people to be like, wow, you, you could be like this too. Like can just yeah. connecting to people. And the reason that we need to fun, I believe it's good for us to be in that space is because then we have, we all have capability to help heal others, you know, yes. when we're able to connect and People sometimes think, ah, oh, well, I'll never make an influence on a life. I'm like, a simple smile could change someone's day or even yeah. maybe make them not want. So, like, but holding that space like you do, just understanding people, being able to relate to them, you know? I mean, you've already, like, I could tell you just for me, having me on today, like, you have no idea. Like, I'm trying to, I've been on a journey to definitely overcome anxiety about public speaking if you will or getting more yeah. comfortable like i've never done a podcast so like yeah. just to be able to create that space let alone allow me to talk about the things that you know excite me too like yeah. you know you've helped me you're helping a lot of other people so awesome. i pre i appreciate you dr darian thank you thank you you yeah. know what the trippiest thing's gonna be though what and, and it's so funny people go should I listen back to my episode? I'm like, you totally should listen to your episode. Why wouldn't you do that? They're like afraid to hear what they said. It's yeah. hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. I'm like a little slightly terrified, but I, I, will, <laughs> I will listen. <laughs> you totally should listen. The best part is getting feedback from people. And they go, I listened to my episode. 
I don't remember saying some of the stuff I said. I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's okay. It's no big deal. Honestly. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, it's just fun. It's just fun. It's good to hear, you know, and it's just a way for people to, it's exposure to other people to see what you're up to, different minds, different experiences. It's just going to help you grow. And you know what I think will be interesting is, and if anyone's listening to this part, is to see what part of our conversation like resonated with people. Yeah. Because sometimes it's always the things I think will resonate with people are absolutely not. So that's what's also fascinating to see what, you know, because I also think wherever we are at any time, like we hear what we need to hear, you know. Yes. So I'll be curious if anyone listens to this for their feedbacks. (laughs) They will. Believe me, I get it all the time. I had a guy, he he listens all the time and he goes, I was on a podcast episode of mine where we were talking about divorce because this lady she had been divorced and she went through all this tragedy yeah and i mean i've never been divorced i've been married 15 years but i can talk to anybody about anything yeah literally absolutely and i am not afraid and he said that that episode helped me so much because you know he had gone through it and there was all this stigma that he was feeling about it and he felt that that episode dispelled a lot of what he had thought yeah. And it helped him grow. And I was like, that's the total point of doing this. Yeah, totally. absolutely. That's awesome. Just listening. And I like long format speaking. I don't, you know, I, 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 I've known a lot of, I know a lot of podcasters now from doing this. And I, I noticed that a lot of people try to keep all the interviews and in kind of in the 20 minute thing. And I'm like, I mean, I can't get anything in 20 minutes done like deep on a deeper level. I right. need to get, I need to flesh out this person and what they're into and, let them speak about what they're going through, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just hitting my stride at like 35 minutes, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, you know, like that's also right. Sticking to your intuition of what, you know, because I was having this conversation because my business partner wants to start a podcast, took a class and they're like, yeah, keep it to this amount of time. Yeah. But then we're like, well, you do have a pause button, right? You could always break it into chunks. It's, you can not, break it into chunks. Yeah. it's not like, you know, people don't have the option to like listen at different times. So I agree. And I think this kind of conversation, like if people are still listening after an hour, they're listening because they want to be listening. They're ready to yeah. listen. So, you know, it's intriguing information. Awesome. Well, yeah. I, I know you are, you need some rest, uh, apparently. Uh, you're living yeah. on limited sleep. And uh, thank you so much, Dr. Fisher, for just taking time out of your day to speak with me. I'm, I'm very appreciative of it. Yeah, thank you. It's, it's been a great end to the day and actually start to my weekend too. So Fantastic. Um, early weekend. So yeah, I look forward to, uh, you know, to hearing the podcast and uh, definitely being in touch with you and following your journey. So yeah, definitely. I, I'd like to stay yeah. in touch with everybody that's on. And, and in fact, I'll be updating you about some future kind of retreat stuff that we're going to be doing for all the podcast guests. Hopefully that, you know, everyone could attend and just, yeah. I want everybody to meet each other actually. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of working on yep. it. You know, awesome. So. Awesome. Well, thanks for your time and uh, have a good rest of your day. Okay. Take care. Bye. All right. Sure. We have 30 seconds to tell you that drivers who switch to progressive could save big, but then what? Well, radio has been called theater of the mind. So let's tell a story with sound effects. Ah! 
Wow, it's like I was in the story. Almost makes me forget this was supposed to be about saving big with Progressive. <laughs> Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Hi, this is famous Formula One driver Will Arnett. Join me and comedian Mika Hakkinen on our new Formula One radio program, The Fast and Loose Post Show, live on AMP every race Sunday. Download the AMP app today and follow AMP Presents F1 to join the show.